Today on Lessons for Living, the teaching ministry of Mark Ballmer, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel, Melbourne in Melbourne, Florida. Who's going to share the reputation of Jesus? You and I. See, one day someone shared with you how good Jesus was and his reputation. That's why you're here. We must not forget the hopeless and the desperate. These two people didn't come because of a radio announcement, because of a nice commercial on TV. These people came because another person shared the reputation of Jesus Christ. Faith is vital in the life of a Christ follower. First and foremost, it is by grace through faith in Jesus that we're saved. Secondly, we know that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. But that work of faith doesn't stop there. It doesn't go dormant after you've prayed the prayer of salvation. In fact, it's only the beginning. From there, we need to daily exercise that faith in our lives, believing what God says is true. We need to step out in obedience, trusting that God is in control and He knows exactly what He's doing. We need to have faith that He will provide for our every need. Remember, there's quite a few ways to receive a copy of Pastor Mark's teaching. We'll be sharing all that information with you at the close of this broadcast. Now, let's join Pastor Mark in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 5, verse 21, for part one of our message entitled, Faith Makes a Difference. She was the largest ship ever built at the time, reaching three football fields in length, 12 stories high. Late Sunday night, an iceberg was sighted by the lookouts. They had ignored the previous warnings, but now it was too late. The Titanic could not turn out of its way in time, and the iceberg scraped along the starboard side of the ship, creating massive holes. In two hours and 40 minutes, the unsinkable Titanic lay at the bottom of the ocean. Now, there were not enough lifeboats on the Titanic for all the passengers. The prevailing wisdom at the time was that a ship of this size, character, practically unsinkable, would never need that many lifeboats. If you had been there that ill-fated evening, and we're in the icy water, and in front of you, you saw an empty lifeboat heading by with the current, what would you do? Would you wave at it? Say, hey, lifeboat, how are you? Nice to see you out here. If you had any faith at all, what would you do? You'd swim with your frozen legs. And you do what? Stay alongside it and go, nice lifeboat. Looks pretty good. I wonder if it'll hold me. No, what would you do if you had any faith at all? You'd climb right in, wouldn't you? You'd get in the lifeboat. That evening, 700 people survive. 2,200 perished. Today, we're going to talk about faith. Faith that makes a difference. We'll see this morning that two very diverse people 
from both spectrums of life have a common problem. In the sea of life, they are without a lifeboat. They are two people, very diverse, but without hope. They are looking for any help, someone to trust, someone to put their faith in. And they're looking for a lifeboat. There's lots of definitions of faith. Actually, Hebrews 11.1 1 isn't really a definition of faith, but more a, an action of how faith works. Faith is the confidence that what God has said or promised will indeed happen. Now, unlike the Titanic, biblical faith is never based on an object or formula. Biblical faith is always based on a person, and that's Jesus Christ. So we'll see that as we go through our story. Now, it's a very interesting story this morning. You remember Peter is the one who was there, and he is telling Mark, and Mark is writing it down. The story actually is kind of like a stereo. We'll start with one story, and halfway through that story, we'll pick up another story, and then we'll bring them together. Mark does this in a wonderful way, and it's not because he's forgotten what happened in the first story, because it blends the music together as God teaches us through his word. Let's look at chapter 5, verse 21. And when Jesus had again crossed over by the boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. You remember we left Jesus the last time we were speaking in chapter 5. He was on the east side of Galilee, Sea of Galilee. He was in the area of the pagans. They didn't want him there. They asked him to actually leave. He was coming across in the boat this small, narrow lake, just a few miles wide, a few miles long, and the people knew of Jesus. No doubt on that shore that morning near Capernaum, people saw the boat coming across. The word spread rapidly. Jesus is coming back to this shore. He had a reputation. And we see, unlike the other side, the people now are massing to be by Jesus. Point number one this morning, faith opens the door to God's power. Verse 22, then one of the synagogue rulers named Jairus came there. Seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet and he pleaded earnestly with him. My little daughter, Luke tells us the only daughter, is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. Now Jairus was an interesting individual. He was a leader of the local synagogue. He was well known in the community. In this male-oriented community, he had it made. He was a male. He was respected because of his position in the Jewish life of a ruler of the synagogue. He had money. He had possessions. He had it made. He had security. He was known. He was a male. But one morning, when he woke up, none of those things mattered anymore. Everything in Jairus' life suddenly took a back seat to a new happening in his house. 
his 12-year-old, healthy, vibrant daughter suddenly had become ill. She was sick. She was dying. The Greek word dying in verse 23 is literally at the very point of death. Now, this was a hopeless situation. There was no emergency room to go to. There were no medicines to say. Jairus took a great risk. He came to find Jesus. He came through the crowd. We don't know how far it was. But as he made his way through the crowd, certainly the people of that locality knew who he was, this respected man. He comes through the crowd and he kneels in front of Jesus. No doubt there was hush and talking in the crowd. What is this Jewish ruler doing? You see, the synagogue rulers hated Jesus. They didn't believe he was the Son of God. They thought he was blaspheming. But see, Jairus didn't care. He didn't care anymore about his job. He didn't care anymore about his money. He didn't care more about his reputation, his religious stand, or what anybody thought about him coming to Jesus. You see, at this point in his life, only one thing mattered to Jairus. It was his daughter. If you're a parent this morning, you know what that means, don't you? When our kids are sick, nothing else matters. We're all going to die. You see, we really think we're invincible. Certainly, Jairus thought his 12-year-old daughter, but she was literally at the point of death. And there are only some things in life that matter when you come to those kind of priorities. Jairus was reminded of them. He could care less about his job. You know, sometimes today we have our priorities so mixed up that the job comes before God and our families. Things come before people. Jairus was reminded of the priorities of life and he didn't care. He was in this situation and he was going to do whatever it would take to find help. I find that often during hopeless situations, people turn to God for help. You see, you will come to a place in your life, I don't know when it'll be, but you will come to a place in your life when nothing else matters. But number one, your relationship with God, knowing you're right. Number two, that you're doing what God wants. And number three, family and friends. The rest doesn't matter. Now for many of us, it's nice words that I just said, but remember, you'll come to a place where they'll be alive in your heart because you'll come to that point that's hopeless. Jairus was there. Now notice Jairus doesn't try to make a deal like often we want to do before God. I've got some money. I've got some parcels of land. I can do stuff for you, Jesus. What's he do? He literally bows before Jesus in front of all of these people. And you can hear the whispers. What is Jairus doing? And he's saying to Jesus, I need your help. I don't understand about all of this, but I need your help. He begs for Jesus' help. You see, he had faith that the touch of Jesus would bring healing to his daughter. Somehow, because of his seeing it before or whatever, he knows that if Jesus can come, 
the situation can be rectified. You see, strong faith is what Jairus had at this point, and strong faith always looks past the problem to God. What kind of faith do you have this morning? Strong faith always looks past the problem to God. Verse 24 says, And Jesus looked at this Jewish ruler and said, Hey, you're the guy that's been talking against me. Just stay on your knees. I'm not going anywhere with you. Is that what he says? Aren't you glad that Jesus forgets our past when we come to him and ask for help? How would we have treated Jairus? Well, let's see, Jairus. Let me see what your theology is here. And weren't you the guy that just caused the commotion in the, in the synagogue? And you remember all the hassle you caused God before you came to him? But when you came and asked for his help, he came. We call that, by great theological term, grace. Aren't you glad for God's grace this morning? So Jesus says, okay, Jairus, I'll come with you. And the large crowd, the verse says, followed and pressed around him. Number two, imperfect, persistent faith is rewarded. Verse 25, and a woman, now we have an unnamed woman, the opposite end of the spectrum in this male-oriented society, was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. <laughs> now Luke, being a physician in the book of Luke, doesn't give us this information. Only Mark tells us this. Luke doesn't tell us that the doc didn't work. Now it's interesting that we see 12 years. Jairus' daughter for 12 years has been enjoying perfect health and life. This unnamed woman for the same 12 years has been living a life of hell. Isn't it interesting how life brings us diverse situations? We never know what somebody's going through. As we meet them, we don't know their background. We don't know what they're experiencing. But the Bible says this woman had been in a storm for 12 years. We don't really know what the bleeding disorder was, but probably was uterine in nature and maybe related to the, uh, the female organs and the menstrual flow and the cycle and all those kind of things. But all we know is for 12 years, this woman had been suffering and not gotten any better. Now, it's hard for us today to imagine this hemorrhaging how it affected every area of your life. Think about this, ladies and men. For 12 years, every morning she got up in pain and bleeding. There wasn't a day she got up that started different. Every evening as she laid on her bed, she was bleeding and in pain. 12 years, every evening, every morning. Now, the impact was greater than that, if anything can be greater than that, because this hemorrhaging in a Jewish society caused her to always be in the state of uncleanliness. She was treated as a leper. How did it affect her? Well, if she was married, and some people believe she had been, her husband by now divorced her because there could be no sexual activity. She was always unclean. If she didn't have any children to this point, she never would have. 
because of the bleeding. Physically, as we've already said, the very life of her was being drained every day. Socially, nobody wanted to touch this lady. For in the Jewish law, everything that she touched became unclean. So if you would visit her in her little room and you would sit on a chair that she had been sitting on, you would have to go and be cleansed. Go to the temple and go through the purification rites because you touched that which was unclean. If you brushed against her in town, you would have to go and be clean. She couldn't reach out and touch you. She couldn't accept the hugs or any kind of physical gentle touch. She was an outcast. And spiritually, she would not be sitting next to you this morning, even if there was a few chairs empty beside you. For she was not allowed in the synagogue or the temple. What a life. Hard for us to imagine what it was like. Now the Jewish Talmud, which was kind of an oral presentation of practical things that were handed down, prescribed 11 cures for this hemorrhaging. Some of them were legitimate, as much as they could do in those days, but the Bible tells us that she had tried all of them, none of them worked. Now there were few that were superstitious. Here was one that the Jewish Talmud prescribed. Listen, if you want to be cured from your hemorrhaging, you must carry the ashes of an ostrich egg in a linen cloth. Do you think you would have tried that? Yes, you would have. You see, I've seen people with cancer in all my years in the medical field try anything, the most bizarre things, travel the worldwide, spend everything they have looking for your cure. This is where the lady was. The unnamed lady, the opposite end of the spectrum of Jairus, no money, ostracized in that community, separated, isolated, in great pain and suffering, broke and absolutely no hope. Until we get to verse 27. Look what it says. When she heard about Jesus. Now, how did this woman hear about Jesus? What did she hear about Jesus? Tradition says that she came from Caesarea Philippi all the way to Capernaum because she'd heard about Jesus. You see, someone took a risk and told her about Jesus and his reputation. Jairus had the same experience. Someone said to Jairus, have you considered Jesus? There's hope. Someone said to this lady, there's hope. He's a different person than the physicians. His name is Jesus. You see, hearing about Jesus and his reputation aroused the faith in Jairus, in this unnamed woman, that before was dead, but somehow it began to come to life. What do you and I share about the character of Jesus? Not about this church and the church where you go, what do we share about the reputation of Jesus? How does the world act when we share about Jesus? Some of us are so weird, no wonder they act that way. But see 
in this setting, the reputation of a healer, of someone who cared, got through to Jairus and this unnamed woman. I believe this morning this hopeless world that we live in doesn't have a correct view of our Jesus. They don't understand as they drive by our church this morning that there's hope in the same Jesus. As you think about your place of work, your office, your school, classroom, your neighborhood, who's desperate in those places for a touch of Jesus? I imagine we'd be very surprised if we went through our neighborhoods, homes that look happy, homes that look complete, cars in the driveway, new things, kids playing, whatever. I believe we'd be very surprised if we would go into some of those homes and find people at a dead end without hope, desperate, unknowing of Jesus and his love. Who's going to share the reputation of Jesus? You and I. You see, one day someone shared with you how good Jesus was and his reputation. That's why you're here. We must not forget the hopeless and the desperate. These two people didn't come because of a radio announcement, because of a nice commercial on TV. These people came because another person shared the reputation of Jesus Christ. Now when she came, verse 27 continues on, it says, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. If I'll just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Well, what kind of faith is that? Well, it's pretty imperfect. She didn't have the right theology. She didn't know the Bible. The Bible wasn't even written. She didn't really understand. And like many at that day, the common belief was that if you could touch the clothes of a holy man, you would be healed. But like Jairus, she didn't care what anybody thought. She didn't care if anybody recognized her coming through the crowd. She didn't care if she made them unclean. She was going to find a way to touch Jesus. She was at a dead end. This was the last lifeboat going by. There was nothing else. Her last chance. So she reached out with this imperfect, kind of crazy theology faith and touched Jesus. Verse 29. Her bleeding stopped. First time in 12 years. And she felt in her body that she was freed from the other suffering or the pain that we mentioned instantaneously now remember a few years ago many of the churches went through this positive confession jazz it was meant well but went way off the deep end you see positive confession says that you just claim whatever you want in the name of Jesus and it will happen this lady didn't claim Jesus is going to heal me and she didn't leave bleeding and in pain you see, if you claim Jesus has healed you and you leave the same way you came and you tell the people all around, you know, Jesus healed me and you're still coughing up blood and can't walk and whatever, people don't want to know the Jesus you're talking about. This woman left. Wasn't positive confession. It was a true healing. It's easy to say that you have faith and trust in God when times are good, when there's money in the bank and food on the table, when you have a steady job and a healthy family. But what happens when life throws you a curveball? What happens when things turn bad? Well, in today's message, we learn that it's during these times that our faith is made evident. 
Either you believe and cry out to God or you don't. You rely on your own strength to get things done. Facebook and Twitter have become a regular part of our everyday lives, and we want to be sure to encourage you to check out our Facebook page and Twitter feed. Log on to LessonsForLivingRadio.com and follow the links. You can find information about everything that's happening at Calvary Chapel, Melbourne. Again, to like our Facebook page and subscribe to our Twitter feed, log on to LessonsForLivingRadio.com. Next time on Lessons for Living, we'll be reminded of our sin condition, our sin disease. Understand that we're all born with sin. We're all born with a need for a Savior. Without Him, we would be lost and dying without hope. But because of His sacrifice, we can be saved. When we come to Him by grace through faith, we can be cleansed and forgiven of our sin. We can experience true healing. We wish we had more time today, but we will have to pick up where we left off next time as Pastor Mark continues teaching through the Gospel of Mark. That's next time on Lessons for Living. 